Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. We all know seniors have been hardest hit by COVID-19. They're much more likely to end up on ventilators and, yes, to die from it than younger Americans. And that's only the tip of the iceberg. This pandemic is affecting them in many other ways as well. And joining us today to talk about it is Nancy Morrow-Howell. She is the director of the Harvey A. Friedman Center for Aging and also a professor at Washington University. Nancy, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Now, you wrote a paper suggesting seniors were most at risk, not just of those ill health effects that we all hear so much about, but a lot of other things as well. Um, What are some of those things that you discussed in this paper? Yeah, well, we tried to lay out some of the recovery kind of issues that we were going to be facing, as well as some of the opportunities. So I'm sure we'll get a chance to talk about both. Um, We know that older people are an important part of the workforce, you know, like a quarter of our workforce is over the age of um, 55. Hmm. So when we start recovering and people are re-entering jobs, we know that older workers have a harder time getting back in. Um, Age discrimination uh, operates quite a bit. So we assume that, you know, re-entering the workforce is going to be a challenge for older people. People have lost income and retirement savings, so there's going to be a need, you know, for us to to work longer uh, because we're going to need to. One of my big concerns has been the disruption in usual care. Hmm. People aren't taking care of their routine issues. Um, Seeing a doctor if they need to, going to an emergency room if they need to. There was even headlines about how stroke people be showing up for stroke in emergency rooms is is way down and that's not because it's not happening. So this disruption in usual care is going to take a toll on all of us. Um, and we're also worried about the ongoing effects of the for every people of all age, you know, the increased isolation and anxiety that we're all feeling. So there's lots of these challenges over time for us to begin thinking about now. Let's talk a bit about that workplace issue. That is a, a, an astonishingly large number of workers um, in the American workforce who are older than 55. Um, yeah. How does this, this age discrimination then? There's so many workers in that cohort. What do we know about yeah. how that plays out for people in that group? Yeah. Well, we do know the workforce is definitely, we say, graying, you know, graying in the workforce because our population is. So the workforce is also more and more people are working longer. There's fewer younger people coming in. So we know that it's a a phenomenon, and we also know at the same time there's age age discrimination. So from the 2008 recession, really solid data that although older workers fare pretty well not being the first to go because they have the experience, because they're so connected to organizations, but once they've been let go of, getting back in takes just a whole lot more time. And some people will say, well, then I guess I'm going to retire early. Mm -hmm. Uh, because they just can't get a new job. And we know that when employers are faced with a lot of applications and a lot of hiring demand, they can just fall back on ageist assumptions. Um, There always has been ageism um, in terms of hiring decisions, but in these kind of uh, recovery periods, it's uh, even worse. So So if history repeats itself, we'll see this again. So more people, yeah. because they're starting over, it's just harder to start over as an older worker. Is that, is that fair to say in terms of people giving you that chance? Yeah, right, right, right. They're going to definitely get trend towards a younger person, all else being equal. We have evidence of that. Yeah. 
And you also mentioned this increased isolation. Do you think that's a bigger problem at this point for many seniors than it is for younger people who are so connected via their phones? Well, I don't, I don't know. I think that's a question. Older adults, one of the opportunities that we talk about in our paper is the fact that there was a trend towards older people being more tech savvy, um, that we have gotten on the internet and cell phones more and more. But this has sort of been a you know, trial by fire. It's kind of sink or swim in terms of technology. So many people who have not um, jumped in or honed their skills are doing that. One, to have telehealth, to be connected with providers, to be connected with family and neighbors. So this sink or swim kind of moment with technology, I think, is a great thing. And we're all going forward. Now, the concern is some folks don't have the equipment, um, and agencies are trying to get people equipment. But it has been a salvation, and I feel like we'll reap some benefits from that going forward. Now, has isolation been worth, worth, you know, worse on older people? You know, maybe because older people are at higher risk anyway. If there's a mobility issue, hmm. if there's a transportation issue, if there's a the person's living alone, they've lost uh, partners, you know, through death, etc. So there's a little bit of increased risk of isolation going in. So we're worried that it has been um, that it certainly is a problem with all older folks. I just always hate to signal, pull out, you know, older folks from any other kind of folk, Mm -hmm. you know, because we're all, you know, we all have the same issues. That's a good point. And, you know, I think of my own father, who um, is a school teacher, and he's 70 years old, and he's now teaching these classes uh, via distance learning. And certainly there was a a challenge for that. But I think he's, he's gotten the hang of it. And we might have underestimated his ability to do that on the front end. Yeah, as I think you'll, we, you know, everybody's rising to the occasion. And, and another really interesting point is that there's so much old, the older population, older adults, not only are they in the workforce, they're, they're also uh, in the frontline workforce. Mm. I mean, you know, they are the nurses and they are the workers at the grocery stores. So they're there fulfilling all of the uh, frontline needs. We, I always say, you know, Dr. Fauci's 79. He's going to be 80. And so they're just a vital part of the response to uh, this pandemic. Mm-hmm. And we need to recognize that. You know, my fear has been that the public is thinking that the older populations, this one, monolithic group of people, mm-hmm. you know, who are vulnerable, who need special concern or concentrated in nursing homes, you know, in those, those, it's just not a real picture of the older population. It's a very heterogeneous group. And there's people that are out there working and taking care of people, you know, in emergency rooms as well. Yeah. So my fear is that this pandemic is going to, on the other side, that we're going to not have, we're going to be set back in our progress of understanding the diversity and the strengths of the older population. We're speaking to Nancy Morrow Howell. She's the director of the Harvey A. Friedman Center for Aging and also a professor at Washington University. And we want to hear from you. Are you a senior citizen? How are you faring during this pandemic? And what about it has frustrated you the most? Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air, or you can also email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Now, we did get a voicemail over the weekend from Leatrice uh, Politica of Sunset Hills, and here's what she says she's found to be the hardest part of this pandemic as an older adult. The most frustrating thing for 
me and my husband, hands down, is lack of seeing the grandchildren. We are used to seeing them after school every day, going to lots of athletic events on weekends, and it's uh, very difficult without that. And that is listener Leatrice Politica of Sunset Hills. Now, interaction with grandchildren, it's such a big deal for so many older adults. Nancy, has your research looked into what might be emotional impacts that come from not being able to have that? Yeah, this has been a very real concern. And me, for me as well, I'm a grandma, and uh, it is so frustrating to not be able to do what we usually do and help. I can't help my daughter, you know, with her kids, and she could use that. <laughs> um, so it's a very frustrating thing, and we're all doing our FaceTime and our Zoom games, um, seeing people from the driveway as much as we can. So it will be great when we can resume that. There's also the question mark about uh, about the younger kids, um, you know, being good transmitters of the virus. So there's so many unknowns there. But I think another group of grandparents we have to think about are custodial grandparents. A lot of grandparents live, you know, in an intergenerational households, mm-hmm. and they are vital parts of ta- making sure those households are working. And then they're also at I- increased exposure. Because they might be taking care of a grandkid while a parent goes out to work and comes back. So another grandparent issue is definitely the um, custodial or the co-residing grandparents who have been more exposed um, when they're living in multi-generations. That's a great point. Actually, we have a caller who I think wants to speak to this same point. Uh, Beth is calling from Fenton. Um, Hi, Beth. You're on St. Louis on the Air. Hi. Thank, thank you so much for joining us. Um, what has been hard for you about this pandemic? Absolutely, hands down, without a doubt, not being able to see my grandchildren. Mm-hmm. It is so hard. How many do you have? I have six. Wow. And are they here in the St. Louis area where normally no. you'd be able to? Oh, okay. Well, no, no, two of them are. But the other ones, well, they're in Kansas. And so normally we stay with my kids if we stay there and um, well, we just can't go. We just can't visit now. And so that's really difficult. So are you finding mm-hmm. ways to, to get around that? Are you able to talk to them um, on Zoom, maybe, for example? Oh, yeah. We do all the video stuff, and, and it's it's great. But, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm missing a lot because we do have a little baby. He's 16 months old. Oh. And he's talking, and so it is hard. <laughs> yeah, Nancy, here is somebody speaking to that exact same point. It, it feels like this is such a just such a sadness and a hardship for so many grandparents. Yeah, it is, and I feel especially bad for, like our caller, when uh, when babies have been born and uh, moms and dads can't come hang out and help, you know, firsthand with newborn babies in this time is, is also such a loss for people. Yeah. Well, Beth, thank you for that call, and I hope this all sorts out so you'll be able to see them again soon. But in the meantime, it's, it's good you're being safe and you're not making that road trip. Um, so <laughs> that is good to hear. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Um, we're discussing older Americans and how they're doing in the middle of this pandemic. Um, and we've got another caller. I'd like to go back to the phone lines. Linda is calling from University City. Um, Linda, hi, you're on St. Louis on the Air. Hi. Um, is there feedback? I'm in my car. I can hear you great. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, great. Um, you were talking about older people. I'm going to be 80 years old this month. Or no, not this month. Um, brain fart. <laughs> yeah. In October. In October, okay. Well, hey, that's something <laughs> to be proud of. There before. <laughs> um, 
I, the thing I miss most about this pandemic, of course, is seeing my grandchildren. Mm. But it has brought home how very fortunate I am to still be working. I have two jobs that are kind of on hold. I'll go in maybe once every couple of weeks. And I'm also very fortunate that I had parents that in that taught me the value of self-sufficiency, hmm. not only physical, but mental. Hmm. So you're, do- have, you're doing okay, even without getting to have all that in-person interaction? I am. I have hobbies at home that keep me busy. I may be up till 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night making quilts. Um, I'm a voracious reader. Hmm. Um, I, I have to say, uh, I think I may be one of the few people who is not um, dramatically affected. Hmm. Well, I, mean, I miss my friends, I miss my family, but as far as myself goes, I am content in my own skin. Well, Linda, I am so glad to hear that. It's just such a, a note of sunshine to to hear how you've been able to, to deal with this. And Nancy, it sounds like this is exactly what you're talking about. Older Americans aren't just a, a group of victims. Um, right. Some of them are, are right. doing quite well, like Linda. Yes. Yeah. Linda, thanks for that story. The, the You know, we talk about older adults and we don't even know what we mean for sure. But, you know, that's a 40, 50 year span in our 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. And there's so much uh, diversity in terms of our capabilities, preferences, the way we do things. We just can't stereotype this group of folks that's happening in this big way now. People, older people are working and they are um, volunteering. That's a tough one, too. Many people have been really cut off from really vital volunteer roles because the agencies are closed down you know, or they're feeling like they need to protect themselves um, by not participating in volunteer roles. So that's another big loss um, mm-hmm. along the line with grandparenting, just <clears throat> our ways to be make a difference, to be generative. That is threatened as well. But people have been resilient, as Linda, they very um, resilient and, and making the most of situations, finding ways to connect to families, finding ways to volunteer, mm-hmm. whether it's raising money, um, doing phone connection, doing tutoring with kids, uh, making masks. So people are a pretty resilient bunch, and older adults have been around the block a couple of times in tough times, so they, they tend to be able to really uh, make the most of it. Our guest today is Nancy Morrow-Howell. She's the director of the Harvey A. Friedman Center for Aging and a professor at Washington University. We need to take a quick break. We'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. 90- Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at choosewood.com. Point seven KWMU.
And now back to our conversation. We're talking today to Nancy Morrow Howell, the director of the Harvey A. Friedman Center for Aging. She's also a professor of social policy at Washington University's Brown School. And if you want to join our conversation, we're curious for seniors out there how they're doing in the middle of of all this and what about the pandemic is most frustrating. Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air. Now, over the weekend, we heard heard um, via email from Madeline Franklin. She's the executive director of STL Village, and that's an organization devoted to helping older adults stay in their homes as opposed to ending up in a facility and stay connected and active. She told us that while members of the STL Village miss their usual social gatherings, they've been doing a quite a bit over Zoom and, and things like that. She added, quote, some of our members have expressed anxiety around issues of safety and wellness. She continued, certainly our members have been exposed to the negative ageist chatter that has taken place, such as hashtags like boomer mover and hashtag grandma killer. Our members are concerned about the conversations regarding the distribution of medical services based upon age and the us versus narrative inevitably is a source of stress, albeit unspoken. Nancy, have you heard seniors express the sense that they feel like their lives aren't being valued in the same way that, that younger people are? Yeah, absolutely. From the very beginning of this pandemic, um, before it was even in our country, <clears throat> leaders were being accused of being slower to act than usual because this was going to just kill, just, you know, kill old people. Mm-hmm. Um, the rationing raised its head when uh, there was discussion of there won't be enough ventilators. Um, and as Madeline pointed out, the different uh, boomer remover kind of hashtags. So certainly ageism has raised its head in this epidemic. The, you know, the truth is that older adults are more vulnerable. It's mostly true that age is related to it because older adults are more likely to have other health conditions. Hmm. Heart, um, hypertension, diabetes, that's correlated with increased age. So those conditions put us at risk as well as weaker immune system. So there's no doubt that there's a correlation with age. We just have to look at the data. Also a correlation with residential living. People in close quarters, whether it's a meat pack or a nursing home, you are going to be uh, more likely. So it's all correlations with age rather than age per se. (coughs) But it's it's easiest to say everybody over 65, you know, stay home. It's it's too hard to, you know, be respectful of all the different health conditions and motivations and preferences of people. Mm-hmm. So it's true. It's been. I'm, I'm worried that when we're through this, there's going to be a setback, as I said before, in terms of thinking about the older population as this um, vulnerable, you know, group of people. Mm-hmm. Madeline, when frankly. in fact, you know, people are just itching to get back out to take care <laughs> of grandkids and to work and to volunteer and do all the things that uh, is meaningful to them. And Madeline Franklin, her email also did touch on that. Um, she said that members of the STL Village certainly are concerned uh, with what happens now as the state and local governments are reopening, what activities they can safely per- participate right. in, and what activities they should refrain from participating in. Do you think people are kind of looking for a bit more guidance maybe than what they're Absolutely. getting? Absolutely. It's very confusing right now for all of us. You know, what we, what we want to do and what risk will we take to take care of our grandkid? You know, if 
if our son or daughter really need to do something. You know, the risk take, the risk weighing is is going to be very hard as things continue to to open up. I think we all know how to do it as safely as possible with our mask and gloves and hand washing, but just what risk we're able to take is something that you know, we're just not going to know. I, for one, am going to be so excited if there is, ever, ever is a reliable antigen that will tell me, you know, tell us who's, who's safe and, and what that might mean for us. But yeah. until that time, we'll just all be weighing our risks to do things that we need to do. Uh, We also heard from Ken via email on the question of what's most frustrating. He writes, quote, without a doubt, it's the fact that so many people around here are failing to practice social distancing, wear masks, or do anything else to protect themselves and the people around them. He adds that he does have a chronic medical condition and only ventures out when absolutely necessary. But, quote, when I go, I'm always shocked and stressed out by the 20 to 80 percent of fellow shoppers and employees who either don't know or don't care that we're in the middle of a terrible pandemic. Ken says he's wondering right now what can be done to, quote, get more of us to do whatever we can to protect the people around us. And Nancy, I'll be honest, I'm seeing within my own circles, it's more seniors who think this thing is overhyped. And this, again, is just a personal sample. I can't speak to any stats here. But they're saying, oh, come on, it's safe to come over. Um, You know, why can't we have this family uh, get together? Things like that. I don't know. Do you feel like, how do you explain that disconnect when here's the population that's most at risk and maybe a big chunk of this population wants to just shrug this off? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, Sarah, what the, what the data w- will show. Um, you know, are older people that are out less likely to wear masks? I don't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I certainly, certainly should say, yeah, I've got no stats yeah, on this. Yeah, we've all seen, yeah, and I get equally frustrated when I'm out in, at a store trying to do what I can do and, and the person next to me doesn't have a mask, young or old. Um, how to have everybody view this common good, you know, in the intergenerational. I, I just wish we could come out of this with a stronger sense of intergenerational solidarity. Mm-hmm. You know, that I, um, as an older person, want to be able to do what I can do for kids. And I, and I, and I think that younger people have had a chance to think what they could do uh, for their, not just their older relatives, but older people, period. And it involves, you know, following all of the rules. Um, and it's so frustrating when, yeah, I was in Forest Park the other day and a bunch of people, and they happen to be young people, so I don't think it's age-specific who's following the rules and who isn't, um, you know, not following the rules. And it's, it's very disheartening. So you mentioned that sense of solidarity. This might be something good that comes out of this if we can pull it together. And also that, as we talked about earlier, this is a sink or swim. A lot of seniors are now learning right. new technology. Any other opportunities um, you'd want to Yeah, highlight? let me tell you about one, a couple of things. Um, and this, this does kind of pertain to older adults more than younger people who have been isolating. You know, we've gotten messages from every news source about self-care, you know, how we should how we need to be eating and sleeping and exercising and connecting. We've always put off self-care, you know, to till another time or place. And now it's kind of sink or swim on that too. Time management. What do I do with my time that is engaging and purposeful? As our caller mentioned, she has doesn't have any issue with that. One of my colleagues called it, in a way, we're all practicing for retirement mm-hmm. right now if we don't know what to do with our time and how to have really good self-care habits. So I think it's that's really um, being called to the spotlight now so we can learn some things about how to live um, th- th- 
how to live when we have more time on our hands to do the things we should be doing. I think that's an excellent point. And, and yeah, there really is some opportunity in all this. So uh, Nancy Morrow Howell, uh, director of the Harvey A. Friedman Center for Aging, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and, and sharing that perspective. I've enjoyed it, Sarah. Thanks much. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.